WFAE's David Borax has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. R&D in the QC has reached the half-century mark. On episode 50, we talk about tonight's lengthy meeting, including affordable housing and scooter regulations, and we welcome County Commission Chair George Dunlap. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to R&D in the QC episode 50 Larkin what do you think about that 50 episodes as of tonight congratulations my friend this is a big deal actually you should show oh, people you yeah should, don't tell them who but uh well we got we got some we have some fans and so anybody who doubts that we have fans fans right here ladies and gentlemen for those of you listening uh via your uh favorite podcast uh, medium we have a bunch Spin them of around. They can't see the orange a ones. bunch of roses here uh, representing R and D. Uh, wonderful. Um, can, we, can we thank the person who gave it to us? Oh, oh, good grief! No, they might be embarrassed. Okay. Just know that. Just know that we have uh, friends of the pod who friends of the pod who love us and send us flowers. So fifty episodes. Hopefully, to- Krista doesn't watch this because when you take them home. Yeah, you want me to say you got them. I'm gonna, her. I'm gonna also then uh, just write a new card and and bring these home to Krista, tell her how much, uh, how much she means to me there. Pastor McKinnon put fans in quotation marks. I don't know if that was a implying that we have fans. stalkers or so 50, people that hate us and 50, just send us things for the irony of it. Fifty, fifty episodes, man. I mean, I, I can't even Who'd begin. Thunk it? I can't even begin to do the math on the number of weeks that represents. But uh, I'm going to tell you, man. I figured you'd be dead or in jail by now. That's a, uh, oh my gosh. Bob Hageman has joined. Former city attorney. This has got to be the best Monday night of the last <laughs> I mean, this is three it. decades for him. You know, I was expecting on a big anniversary like this, a 50th, that uh, that uh, we wouldn't have had such a frustrating meeting again. <laughs> but, you know, it's fine. 2019 has really started off with a bang, hasn't it? My wife asked me what time I thought we'd be done tonight. I said, oh, I should be home by 10. And then I... Immediately wrote a second text that said, famous last words. Not on your 50th. We're having ourselves a little 50th anniversary tonight, me and you. So thankfully, since the meeting went long, we did pre-record our second segment. And when we get to that, we'll be joined by a newly appointed chair of the Mecklenburg County Commission, but veteran County Commission and school board member, uh, Mr. George Dunlap. He'll be on with us for the second half of the episode. Um, But for now, we... For all the meetings that we've come up here and said, well, not a lot happened tonight. Um, thankfully for the 50th episode, we got some good meaty stuff. We actually passed some things that we've literally been talking about since last summer. Uh, so we got some things to unpack. So let's, uh, where do you want to start? <laughs> I don't I think someone just called you a fake Republican. Yeah, I see that. See, this is the problem <laughs> with live streaming. Like we get to see people's comments. Usually... The dumpster fire, which is my word of the day, that is my social media, 
is relegated to the comments that I can glance at and kind of disconnect from. But it's nice to have these things uh, popping up in front of me now. Back to what well, we are talking. Other Ray. Um, um. <laughs> well, and I got to. Well, we need to do a survey too. Imagine the people that are just listening in their car, listening on the treadmill at the gym uh, tomorrow. I wonder what their take is on us doing these live streams because they're going, what in the hell are they talking about? I I, I, li- I listened to our one of our last ones. It, it kind of made sense. Um, but uh, people are just really chiming and in here. With Brandon, <laughs> Brandon Bergen, you make better brisket than Targ. All right. and, and again, the people listening, audio let's, only, let's, this is getting yeah, weird. Let's definitely hop back into some topics. So now. we got scooters tonight. We've got affordable housing policy. Those were the two uh, meatiest um, – some committees today, though, too. The Transportation Planning Committee. Uh, so I guess we'll start there. A couple of things there we talked about, um, and the one that we advanced out of committee to the full council was a discussion around school zone safety. And so we've, we've talked at length um, in committee and on the podcast around the neighborhood traffic calming efforts uh, around Vision Zero, which says that uh, we our goal should be for no person uh, to to die on our streets. And so there's a lot of policies that will go into that broader goal, and the school zone policy is one. And so we have expanded – well, well, we haven't yet. We're recommending out of committee to the full council that we expand the school zone safety policy traffic-wise, lowering speed limits, uh, expanding the area around a school that would be limited uh, – to say 25 miles an hour instead of 35. And, um, you know, if, if people live in the neighborhood where they go to school, which isn't always the case in Charlotte Mecklenburg, but, uh, is, we want them to feel often is, we want them to feel safe walking to school, want them to feel safe if their kids, whether it's, you know, a fifth grader or a 12th grader, they ought to be able to walk to school. If they want, they ought to be able to bike to school. Um, and people shouldn't be speeding around schools. That ought to be something we can agree on. Uh, so we talked about that. We talked about our 2040 vision plan, um, what happened when, because I, I left a few minutes early and then it seemed like there was some news at the end of that, that meeting. There was a discussion around red light cameras and speed cameras. And I know that's been something that I have been told historically has been incredibly divisive in the community. And then it's been divisive on council as well. That's come back up. That's a, a big passion of Mayor Pro Tem Eisel, who we might or might not have mentioned, but as the new year uh, came in and t- with 2019, there were not huge changes made on the committee's structure, but there were some. Uh, one of the more notable changes was that Mayor Pro Tem Eisel uh, relinquished her chair as, on community safety, which was taken over by Dr. Justin Harlow, and then she became the chair of transportation and planning. Now the chair of that committee the red light cameras are something she's uh, very much in favor of. And the big sticking point for those has always been that they are a big money loser for the city uh, because only 10% of the revenue could be retained by the city uh, to offset cost of the program. 90% of the revenue by state statute has to go back to education, which is a a great cause, but the 10% of the revenue doesn't pay for the program. It's a big money loser for cities, whereas citizens tend to view it as a money grab. So that, that was the huge one for me on, on why I was against that when it first came up, not to mention I, and I have to go dust off some old notes, but I, I didn't think that in the presentation based on the data that staff gave us, they really made that big of an impact. So again, I think we have to go back and look at that, but I, I think the same problems exist 
don't sit there and chuckle on that. Don't read the comments. I was just going to tell you, it's good don't news because the, the guy who's trolling you admits that he doesn't even live where, up in a place where he can vote for you. Stop. This is not, we can't, we can't, okay. we can't go, feed, we can't feed, feed the trolls. Feed the trolls. Um, uh, so let, let's, let's jump to um, some meetings from today. But well, the upshot on the, the cameras was we've, we've asked to get some information back. There's a couple of North Carolina cities that have tried to find a way with state authority to create a program that's revenue neutral. Again, not trying to create a crash, a cash grab for the city by just writing a bunch of citations with red light cameras doing the work for us, but only trying to pay for the program itself to increase traffic safety, still a revenue stream for the education system, uh, seemingly a win-win. But, um, and, and Mayor Pro Tem Iselt had some good data today from other cities that demonstrate that these cameras have a net positive effect on traffic safety, which you would assume they do. Um, so anyhow, that was that was one of the more interesting things today. You, you know what? Um, you, you know what frustrated me? There's several things that frustrated me tonight, but the first one in uh, at our dinner meeting was the update on affordable housing. And you know, I I won't keep regurgitating the same things I've been saying for six months, but it's become quite evident, I think, to everyone that we need an actual plan, right? I mean, having a, a toolkit of uh, of this framework that was created is great. Uh, today we approved the um, the locational policy, which is also great. But these are just like little ancillary things floating around. So today we were introduced to a, a more direct presentation from LISC, the external national organization that we've brought to town to help us in some way. And I was glad to hear, um, I think this was literally the first they had announced of it, unless I just completely missed it somehow. They've hired an executive director, and I was eager to find out who that was. We were told today uh, that that is someone who comes from the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Housing Partnership, which is great because I wasn't sure if they'd bring in an outside person or hire someone from within the community. Not only have they hired somebody who knows the Charlotte-Mecklenburg community by virtue of having lived here, but also knows very specifically this space um, through their work with the housing partnership. So I think that's somebody who ought to be able to hit the ground running. Yeah, I mean, theoretically. I, I'm still confused and concerned about the fact that it, if if we, who are just knee-deep in this topic, don't actually know what's going on and what the plan is, I don't think anybody does. And when you look at, we've got $50 million now, approved bond um, uh, that, that the public was gracious enough to give us the thumbs up on, I don't think we're any closer today than we were a year ago, understanding where that's going to be deployed. They showed us some projects today. I don't know if you did the math on, on the, the little uh, graph that was in front of us, but like, you know, you know, we've, we've operated between that, that realm of you, we can make an impact with the, the tools that we know on affordable housing between $10,000 and $35,000 roughly per unit, depending on what the source is. 10,000 is uh, the uh, away home program, which I'm a big fan of. $35,000 per unit is the uh, 4% deals that we we refer to as the the less competitive money. Um, and if you did the math on that, and I tapped the manager on the shoulder and said, this doesn't add up, it, it was close to $80,000 per unit in what they they had in front of us for that would spend the $50,000 or $50 million. You're talking about the 4% deals. I'm just talking about the math that they said, here's all the things that are teed up and we could do cost $51 million and it'll generate 600 and some units. Oh, by the way, we've got like a, a 19,000 unit crisis at the 30% AMI and below. I mean, it's just like, just like I feared the black box, the slush fund, whatever you want to call it. 
Like we have no idea what's going on. Half of the messaging says, oh, we could do this, but we're not sure. The other half says, Lisk, this external agency is going to come in and solve it for us. Well, I mean, it's just, it's just like, this is not the, last part's the a way a business over, operates. Oversimplified. The, the Lisk proposal essentially said, let's pool, kind of loosely, let's pool the housing trust fund money, the equity dollars coming from the private sector, which there's going to be a big announcement tomorrow morning from several of our large financial institutions um, at 8 a.m. So we'll look forward to getting uh, more good news on that front. And then the money that Lisk can leverage around the tune of like $25 million dollars total pool 125 million plus uh let Lisk find opportunities with a much bigger pool of money those come back and council would get to approve them as i understood it tonight so i i think we're gonna have to learn more about the structure of that arrangement if we were to go that direction um and then again learn more about what the private sector is bringing to the table to help but you know we're gonna approve the the two or three nine percent deals we get the four percent deals i think right now are almost being all lumped in together as if they're all of equal value. And I've, I've got to imagine, well, I don't have to imagine. I know they're not. I mean, clearly some of those 4% deals are probably better ROI than others. And I think we need to stop looking at them as either 4% deals are all good and we should do them all, or they're all bad and we shouldn't do any of them and analyze them on a case by case basis. Cause they're coming from different uh, partners in the housing sector. This is not something where one group pushed forward eight proposals uh, it's it's all different groups across the spectrum of, of partners we have in this problem and then this finding a solution so um, I just I just can't get past the fact that we have spent the last year talking about this real work has been done I'm not gonna like try to you know take credit away where it's due but you know we're sitting at a point right now with an approved 50 million dollar bucket you know another doubling of that from the private sector at least. And there's no plan. Like we could have been making this plan for the last year. Well, I think the locational policy is a big part of it today. Having a scorecard it has not, it, it is irrelevant. The scorecards are scorecard I mean, is irrelevant. The scorecard helps us rate the value of, of any proposal that comes before us in terms of achieving the goals that we've set forth for where we want housing, don't be, where we want people to be near opportunity. Don't be hoodwinked by what it, what what the real power of what we actually did versus these graphs and the scorecard that was created. What we really did was we took an old locational policy that said, hey, all the places in town that it's actually cheap and reasonable the land, from a land value perspective to build affordable housing that the old policy prevented us from doing, except, now we can. Except that they over, except that they granted exemptions except every they time they granted exemptions. So it was like, it, was it, it just was like a bureaucratic timeline add-on, right? So now that's that was the value of what we did. We stripped away and said, we'll consider affordable housing projects anywhere, just bring it. And now the scorecard comes into play, which says, okay, what is it surrounded by and all these things that help us do it? That's, that isn't, which is pretty relevant. It, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it saying won't help. To the I'm just saying it's issue. a, it's smoke and mirrors as it relates to what the true value is and what we did. What we actually need is what I've been saying from the beginning, staff to come forward with a plan that's informed by all of us that shows what the private sector, what LISC, what all these groups are going to do. And it says, and this is the punchline. You've heard me say it before. $50 million historically, and I'll make these numbers up. They're directionally correct, would get us 3,000 affordable housing units. 
we have created through this framework, through the change of the locational policy, a creative out-of-the-box way to create 5,000. And then everyone gets excited. Everyone says, I see now. And that's where others start investing, start solving the problem because $50 million isn't going to solve it. And we cannot turn this into an entitlement that only five, six, seven, eight hundred people get to get the get the benefit of, and we don't actually do the end goal of all of this, which is upward mobility. We can't forget affordable housing is one tool in the toolkit for upward mobility. It's not its own thing. I don't disagree. I'd like to see that side by side. Uh, I don't think anyone should hold their breath that, and I know you were just throwing numbers out for the sake of the example, but uh, I don't want to set the expectation that we're going to have some magic wand that creates 66% higher return in terms of number of units uh, with with per dollar than, than we've gotten historically. We don't want to set that expectation, but we want to strive to actually making a dent in this problem, do we not? Agreed. But I don't know that I don't know that anybody is going to create a situation where all of a sudden we go 66% beyond uh, the limitations of what that ratio used to look like. Uh, it, it should it should be higher and it, it can be higher and I would love to see them demonstrate that to your point. Um, anything else you want to put a, a a bow on top of that before we get into a scooter gate? No, looking forward scooter to scooter gate nine point seven. Looking forward to tomorrow morning's big announcement. I've I've heard leaks that some of our banks and everyone. Uh, uh, and by leaks, you mean their names are on the invitation we got. Yeah, that's the leak I'm talking about. <laughs> so looking forward to that 8 a.m. We'll see. We'll see top secrets. We have we we have not heard leaks of of what the numbers are, but um, I wouldn't be surprised. It's I believe three different institutions. I wouldn't be surprised to see anywhere from five to ten million dollars from each of them. So um, that is, and for people who a little bit of a sidebar, when we talk about bringing in a Honeywell, when we talk about retaining an avid exchange uh, or red ventures in our community or people like that. That's part of a little bit of the intangible benefit of companies like that. You, you know, small businesses are the backbone of of this community and of this country. Um, They're not going to be in a position to be able to give a five or $10 million gift to help tackle a big social problem in our community. Like uh, a Wells Fargo has done or like a bank of America or a bearings might do. Uh, So that's, that's one of the, uh, one of the many upsides of having some of these larger companies concentrating and relocating or, or staying here is that we have partners that can pony up and write that check that most people and most companies can't. And you know what? These folks will always cut a check in the communities they exist in to do, to, 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 to be good citizens. However, back to cap off my point, is they'll cut much larger checks if you've shown them ROI. you have a plan, an ROI, a path to, to really do something special. That's what's incumbent upon us to do. And I feel like we've missed a golden opportunity in the last 12 months. I feel like you're as my 50th episode anniversary gift, you have refrained from using the... Uh, it's extraordinary what we could well, be doing. I was doing. actually going to say you've refrained from saying pro forma. We could pro forma it out too. I don't you know, think you necessary. used it right that time. No, you can, you can yeah. All right, before we get to scooters, was there anything else uh, worth You want to talk about uh, Cross Charlotte Trail or CIAA? Any, have we talked about those at, at great length? We, talked, we only prefaced CIAA last week because oh, it wasn't real the, yet. Did we do the if yeah. they make the announcement? If we don't know what's going to happen. That, and I think it was clear. Th- there was one thing. We, I, then you and I were on, um, I was about to say meet the press. But, oh, uh, I got a thing. The local thing here. What? What's your thing? 
Oh yeah, we were we were on a flash flashpoint on Sunday. So go check that out on WC. But my, my point is, I think I think the two points that really resonate with me on CIAA, um, you you made one of them, and I agree with it, and I made the other. First is when you're looking at CIAA storyline, you know people are all over the map with how they feel. Um, for those who are like with a real negative taste in their mouth, I think it's it's uh, it's you know we should be looking back on this as that was fantastic. We just broke historical records and how long we actually kept it here. And oh, by the way, when you look at their own their own surveys and, and data, year over year, the two things that jumped out at me was over the last three years, one in every three participants last year had also been here for the last 12 years in Charlotte. And their attend attendance was 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 dropping year over year for those three years. I, I think that it's just other conferences in, in, in this type of space rotate around it, it keeps it fresh you know what there'll be opportunities that are there so that was your point but my point was um when you look at the deal itself like i you know i've said this on multiple point, point fronts i've said this about honeywell as well we i don't love it that states compete against each other with taxpayer dollars that's the way the game is played so we have to look at it on a deal by deal basis i thought honeywell was a good deal i looked at the ciaa deal afterwards and, and really kind of went deep into that and when you look at those numbers 50 million dollars right is what they've estimated which i i can question a little bit about their es- estimation mechanism but let's just take that at face value over a little over half of that 29 million is actually direct spend that gets taxed and it ranges in that direct spend from 1% prepared food tax to 8% hotel room tax which means 2.1 million dollars is what comes into city coffers as a direct impact back yet we spend 2.6 million dollars to make that deal happen so before anyone questions could we given more what what did we do on our part we were already in the red on this deal and to be honest, had it come back and they said, Charlotte, we'll go with you, uh, but we need another $500,000 for, um, for you know, uh, scholarships or whatever it might be, I, I think I would say, look, we're trying to solve an affordable housing crisis right now. And that, that is not the best use of those funds. I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole because we did talk about it a lot, lot last week. All we didn't do was say that it was official because it wasn't technically at that point, um, though we knew it would be soon. But I think it's something that I'll, I'll go back to my point. I, com- conferences move their tournaments around. This is not unusual. Uh, I think it'll be back eventually, and I think we need to be serious about making a bid for it. Events like that, events like the All-Star Game, conferences that come to town, whatever it is, all those things bring folks into our town who there are, there are ancillary benefits you'd never be able to quantify. There are people who come into our city, fall in love with the city, and say, this is where I want to bring – my company. This is where I want to bring my conference. This is where I want to bring my work group, whatever it is. Um, it builds a reputation of a, a city that can handle big events that can show people a good time. Um, it's something we need to continue to pursue. I'm disappointed it's leaving though. I'm not entirely surprised. Um, two, well, one thing, so we had a couple people weigh in there after your comments. Yeah, Sean, about how much will we be in the red for the RNC? Great question. The well, answer on, to that is I'm zero. Way, I'm way behind. You're, you're way ahead. Um, Kevin Poirier and Greg Jackson both weighed in asking about um, frustration saying we don't have a plan. Kevin says, I can't believe staff would say that. Well, staff didn't say that. We have a plan. Tark's point, and I don't disagree with it, is that we could have a stronger, more robust, more specific plan. I think we're working towards that. Sean Greer also said uh, you've got some some vicious R 
RBF going on at the dais. Uh, I'll concur with that, and that's funny. What is RBF? Resting something face. Oh yeah, you know I, I that's I, I'll I'll work on that. Sorry, Sean. Uh, yeah, not going to be in the red for the RNC, Sean. I Definitely don't, I don't not. know what zero. That was one of the big things that we focused on. Zero taxpayer dollars will be harmed in that in that deal. That is all. That money is on the the RNC host committee, and they're responsible for it. And there are backstops in place that they then have to figure that out. There there is no scenario where uh, Charlotte taxpayer dollars are going to, uh, in, in essence, subsidize that that convention coming here. Uh, and then Ray said to the point of CIAA, we need to to welcome them more with more open arms, not treating them in Ray's words, like a group of hoodlums. Well, I I think there's, there's definite merit to that. I mean, that that point, absolutely. The the CIAA surcharge from a couple of years ago was pretty egregious. That was, that was egregious. Um, And there, and there's been more than just that, but that was the one that was kind of in your face and, and there's a picture in it. It went viral and that does set a tone that, that they're clearly the city of Charlotte. There were plenty of us who wanted the CIAA tournament Welcome to those guests. Welcome to those teams. But if you feel like there's a concentration of people in any community that don't want you there, that makes you less likely to want to go back. So I think that's real. Uh, the thing that a handful of minutes ago now uh, that I wanted to touch on was we mentioned last week that we on Friday, February 1st, are going to be the guest speakers at Creative Morning Charlotte. And, oh, uh, yes. So, Tark, if you haven't seen it, Tark will have to give you the keywords to, to put into YouTube to find it. But there is a uh, there's a video on YouTube of some surfer dudes going to a like Los Angeles County uh, commission meeting or city council meeting and talking about uh, fighting for the right to have house parties. And it's, it's pretty silly and, and pretty funny. So, Tark, this is possibly like the thing you find funnier than anything it's that so you've hilarious. ever shown me in 13 oh. months' time. And so in that vein, uh, I, I talked with uh, Matt Olin and Tim Miner, uh, who are the uh, founders and MCs and uh, party throwers of Creative Mornings, and they came and did a three-minute public forum speech tonight to pitch that event, though they didn't pitch the event until the last 30 seconds. The first two and a half minutes, they talked about zoocryptology in Charlotte's history. Cryptozoology. Cryptozoology. Tomato, potato. Didn't know that was a thing. Uh, it's probably not, and uh, it was funny. And so you kind of knew. I told you there was a little surprise in the meeting. You looked at the list of people speaking, and you immediately knew which one it was. Yeah. Others didn't. Uh, it was funny to see the, the variety of faces people were making in the crowd trying to figure out like are these guys serious because i mean we get people that you think maybe aren't serious and they are dead serious uh on certain topics of the public forum so it's always hard to quite know um but that was that was probably the the most genuinely funny thing that we've had at the public forum um where they were intending to be funny matt said the truth is out there (laughs) x-files style Um, oh gosh scooters scooters all right. You there's a chance, there's a chance that R&D and the QC listeners might not have to hear us talk about scooters much anymore. I doubt it. If if the last year is going to be indication of the next, we'll spend 80% of our time and bandwidth on scooters. Um, I mean, was I wrong? I, I really bit my tongue on a lot of things tonight and didn't come out and, and say anything. But... This was just bordering. I I didn't love everything in in, the, well, in today's ordinance. Here's the problem. There's the ordinance that we and we did 
the the punchline here, if you want to <laughs> stop watching the Facebook live stream, is we did pass an ordinance, and we do have rules around scooters now. The problem was that we had one member absent tonight, so 10 members, regardless of any absences, you still have to get to six votes. And... It got a little weird. Well, huh? there were so many. Yeah, there were so many nuances, and like everyone around the dais had honed in on a different nuance, and so that was the problem. Was it was like we couldn't find. There wasn't one quick fix to go. Okay, well, if we change this now, suddenly we have eight or nine votes. It was like, well, wait, those two votes are contingent on this little piece, and and these two votes are contingent on this other piece, and so all of a sudden you've got this Frankenstein thing where you're like, well, how do we get to six votes? With something that so the first so the the first thing that that so the the vote was on the ordinance and it wasn't on the, the other piece of dynamic capping of how many scooters you can have dynamic fee structures on incenting these companies in a free market means to do what we want them to do right and by by reducing the fees that they would have none of that was up for vote tonight tonight was just about a set of rules to Around to govern safety. the rule and and. Like I said tonight, like there were two things I didn't really agree with. I didn't really agree with capping it at 15 miles per hour because there's a whole lot of reasons. One, I think Councilman Winston brought up a good point of we don't know what innovation is coming next and what that's going to hinder. It's really easy to change it when we have data to show us that they do need to be capped there. And oh, by the way, I didn't mention this. Half the scooters on the streets don't even have speedometers. So like, what? how are people going to even know? Because they're not going to be able to govern them like that. That, no, that, I, that, that right now well, they're governed at 15, which means the engine cuts off. It won't push it anymore at 15. But if you're going downhill, you can get up to 23 miles an hour on them. Right, and I think that and you can't. You I can't, think that the way it's written says that the speed that the companies have to govern the scooters at, and they could they could turn the dial on what that speed is, is on a level surface. So it, it doesn't account for yes, you can go faster if you're going downhill, or you will not be able to go that fast if you're going uphill, particularly if you. Uh, like me have put on a few pounds that this thing really struggles. Still ride two we, scooters. We actually need. We don't need more horsepower. We need more torque. So all right, we'll, we'll <laughs> so, dig into that later. So one. Well, so Bra- Braxton um, proposed so, that we toss the 15 mile an hour cap on the scooters. And so actually I kind of no was waiting. On no speed. one said anything. I seconded that motion. Well, just so it to was. See. I think it was you, me, Braxton, and, and Justin Harlow. But for that, it failed. Yep. Um, then Sm- Smudgy, Smudgy came in over and the said top. said he wants to defer the whole thing, which I pointed out would have kicked the can at least another month uh, based on our meeting schedule. So we We've got literally been withdraw. talking about this since before August was when I uh, made my, my Nostradamus prediction, as you uh, said. Yes. We'd been talking about it well before that. So, I mean, we're half a year invested in, in talking about scooter regulations. And so, thankfully, he ultimately yielded to the chair of the Transportation Committee and said, I'll withdraw that. But, but then we're sitting there kind of trying to count votes and going, well, wait, who even who's for this? Who's against this? The manager leans over to me and says, is confusing. this thing going to pass? Yeah, so, yeah, I he, think here, so here was the logic I had on on supporting it tonight. I didn't love that it capped speed. <laughs> Tim Miner from Creative Mornings just said, I wish Captain Jack had taken a scooter to Philadelphia instead of a T-Rex. So irresponsible. So true. Tim, yeah. Anyone who wants to go back and see that, go go to uh, somewhere in the beginning and watch them them talk. It was hilarious. Um, so I didn't love the the the, the cap on speed. I didn't love um, putting off limits some random set of of sidewalks without data or anything like that. But I was kind of nervous not to vote for it because it, when you put those two things aside, really what what's in this ordinance is. We're defining that scooters aren't cars. Don't park them like an idiot. 
And if you're under 16, wear a helmet, which you're not allowed to ride it anyway. Okay. So, so literally it's just, we were just doing something. What well, also and half I was, what we're debating were moot points that like the companies don't allow people under 16 to ride them. Um, I'm sure people do, but I was, but, what, I, what I was scared of was that we were one going to waste more time. Think about how much time we have wasted in the last year on scooter stuff, which We've been doing cutting edge stuff and we've been wasting, we can't come to a decision, we can't do anything. And then they started floating what the whole bike community had lobbied for, and rightly so, along the same vein as those other points of of cutting off certain, access re- restricting certain access on certain roads, which someone brought, I think Phipps brought up and then Julie started to support. And I thought, so I was like, man, if we don't approve this now, it's just going to get bigger government worse <laughs> and, and be more bureaucratically delayed. So that's why I'm... I don't love what it is, but I'm sure glad that we can focus on what I'll use. Maybe I, I shouldn't have used this term, but we've got a lot of other dumpster fires to be focusing on right now. Clearly cross Charlotte Trail, clearly where we are and how we need to fix some stuff in affordable housing, clearly your bridge uh, over there with the streetcar. I mean, there's a lot of things that need our attention and man, are we burning a lot of cycles on, no, I don't like this word or this word. I mean, it's... it's oh. well and. And having a set of rules out there does not then carve them into stone for eternity. We can continue to evolve right. as the technology continues to evolve, as we continue to collect data that gives us something to to point to and say, oh, it turns out we should have done it this way. Okay, well, we can go and tweak that. But there's got to be something out there in the first place. And not explicitly saying that you can't go the wrong way down the street or that two people aren't allowed to ride them or how they need to be parked so they're not blocking um, ramps onto and off of sidewalks or that they're not blocking the sidewalk itself for creating accessibility issues, ADA non-compliance type issues. Not being able to put out simple stuff like that that most everybody agrees on. We got hung up on the speed limit stuff, and I think there's merit to both sides of those arguments. Um, to Mr. Driggs's point, if you're going 20 miles an hour – and you roll over the hood of a car, you're probably going, you're going to have far more inertia, as he said. Uh, but I also made the point that we broaden the disparity between the speed of the vehicles and the speed of the scooters by limiting them to 15. And does that create more of a danger? So I, I think there's fair points on all of the speed questions, but to not put out simple safety rules tonight was to me going to be unacceptable after we've talked about it for so long. Yeah. Um, there's a good article in the uh, Charlotte Agenda by Andrew Dunn today on scooters, and and uh, I thought I thought that was a pretty accurate take. I, I'd encourage anyone to go out there and um, and take a look at it. Uh, the end of that story was that <laughs> if you if you kind of tried to do a mental straw poll based on people's comments, and you're like, all right, well. Tark's for it and Luana's against it and and you're going around and you're like well this could end up 5-5 five, because five, we're down a person tonight um, and I thought Mayor Lyles was going to have her first tie to break in the 13 months she's been mayor she sounded like she was leaning for it so I thought it would pass all of a sudden it looks like Braxton's out so I think it's going to fail and then it passes 7-3 with people who had spoken adamantly against it the whole hour we spent on talking about it suddenly voting for it so i was super weird i still don't know exactly what happened there. yeah what happened because all of a sudden i thought it was going to fail four to six then it passes seven three with none of the people i was expecting uh besides you me and justin's i that was an odd it really was but it was interesting to watch that play out and frustrating well so what else man what else what else did we talk about 
Scooters. We should talk about scooters more, I guess, right? Well, we can talk. Um, no, we, we shouldn't talk about scooters more. Um, we did get a draft agenda for the final week of January. We will be having our city council retreat. Um, it will be in Raleigh uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I believe the 26th, 27th. Oh, yeah, let's that talk Tuesday, about Wednesday. this. But, let's talk about this. So we're going to, yeah. as, as was done yeah. two years ago, going to Raleigh. We've got a new general assembly that just got sworn in. Uh, and we've arranged some time to get together with them. There's a lot of new people that are part of the Mecklenburg delegation to the legislature. Obviously there's new council members, a lot of folks, who have not connected the dots yet in terms of council members and legislators that don't know each other. It's really important that we build those relationships. I was uh, very appreciative and flattered. Mayor Lyles today uh, at the very end of the meeting called out that when she was in Raleigh, she'd been approached by legislators uh, from around the Charlotte region, not just the Mecklenburg delegation itself, uh, who had given kudos to to me and you for um, building some of those bridges, trying to strengthen some of those relationships uh, with members of the General Assembly uh, just through continued dialogue and, and outreach. So it is important to build those relationships. I think that's us being in Raleigh makes a lot of sense. Um, and there's a lot on there. I mean, a lot of the time will be spent talking about housing. A lot of the time will be spent talking about economic development. Um, those I mean, tend to I, always I, be our two big-ticket items. Listen, man, when I, when I took a look at that agenda for the retreat, three days of agenda, it, it's – I mean, it's exactly what I would have expected them to put together with no input directly from us, which is uh, a bunch of team building things. We're going to do a whole bunch of trust falls. <laughs> I hope I'm directly behind you when it's your turn. We're going to do a lot of paintings. And then and then we're going to have people uh, come and, and have us write on cards and we're going to put them up. And, oh, we did card. Okay, now put post-its all here on the wall and then all that stuff. And then uh, we're going to have like, three hours left on the last day where we'd be like, Oh my gosh, we still don't have an affordable housing plan. We still don't know anything about the cross Charlotte trail. We still have that bridge over in Larkin's district where the streetcar is just going to like fly off of it and nosedive into the ground. It's like a, a, a scene from idiocracy. Um, we have so much to do and we don't use the time we have correctly when we're all together to really figure it out or things get pushed into these committees where they're supposed to go and people are like that needs to be in my committee but in the committee a staff reports out one way to us and we're like okay that's great and nothing actually gets done there who is actually doing the work for all of these dumpster fires that are that are just massively burning right now infernos who is actually figuring out the solution you're beating a dead horse on this dumpster i'm sorry man it's just like it's in my brain now ray says why don't you tell the staff what we want uh you frequently do I very frequently do. Uh, and Becca says, as we're building these relationships in Raleigh, we need to make them uh, not transactional. And I don't think we are making them transactional. I think the whole, I mean, the whole point of diplomacy, and that's essentially what the Intergovernmental Committee is, it's its kind of diplomacy at a micro level, is building trust with people. And those are often people that you disagree with on a litany of issues, but you have common interests. And in our case, uh, you know, a Jason Sane building from Lincoln County, a Republican who I disagree with on a lot of issues, but we've started to build trust. You've had a relationship with him longer than I have. He's someone we can trust to, to shoot straight with us. If we call and say, Hey, this is coming down the pipe in, um, in the legislature. We think this is really harmful for the Charlotte region uh, of which Mech- of which Lincoln is, is a part. And 
you know, give it to us straight. What do we need to do to, to kill this? What do we need to do if it's good for us to support it? Um, and so when we don't agree on nine things, finding the thing we do agree on and working on it, um, creates that trust. And I don't think it's a transactional thing. I think, well, it, I, look, I think, I think we've done a really good job at that relation. The last year, I think relationship building kind of repairing some of the poison relationships of the past. I think you and I in our work on the intergovernmental relations committee have done a great job at that. I think mayor Vi Lyles has done an incredible job at that. I mean, you, you can't go into Raleigh or DC without our delegations really just, you know, uh, highlighting and praising her for all the things she does. But that's not the problem. Like we've, we all right. So maybe last year, maybe that was the work we need to do. We've got to really get down to business in like creating some very specific plans on some things. What I would like to see is a portfolio report every single week and every single month, at different levels at council that says, here's all the groups from CRVA to the CRBA to, um, uh, you know, all these different kinds of groups that we, we, we provide some sorts of funding into or money or partnership and what, what's upcoming. What are the different projects like the NASCAR hall of fame and the whitewater center and all these other areas, you know, what, how are they doing? What are all these things like the cross Charlotte trail and maybe projects over $10 million and is it red, yellow, or green stoplight? Like, we need a monitoring mechanism in a, at a portfolio level for things we need to see. And then for those things that don't have solutions, we actually need to sit down and make the plans. So do you have like an idea or something that if we went back to the manager and our peers and the mayor and said, this is maybe how I'd recommend tweaking the retreat. So when we leave there, we, we really look back and said, we built something. Do you have any thoughts or ideas on how we could do that? Well, I think the door has been left open for us to do that. And I think um, Councilman Mayfield and Councilman Driggs, I believe, were the two that most pointedly said some of what we see in here seems a little fluff, uh, things that, you know, maybe are, are nice to do, but they're not really getting at our core issues and our main objectives. And so I think there will be um, some refining of that schedule. Um, and I, I do want to mention too, um, Sean has weighed in on Facebook and said, what does the council want from the state and what do you want from the federal government? Which leads me to believe that, uh, or leads me to realize that, that we, with all the other stuff we had going on tonight, we forgot to, to mention that we talked about oh, yeah. our legislative agenda. Um, and I'm pulling that up now so that I can read it more verbatim. Um, take your time. And the link, well, the link's not working, so that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but so Sean, we, we, put forward both a state and a federal legislative agenda tonight that are close to a final draft. They're not quite final. Uh, we'll likely vote on that in about two weeks. Um, but it's, it's what you would expect. It's affordable housing, it's transportation. Um, there's stuff in there about fire and rescue squads. It's a big thing where we can work collaboratively to support some other localities around the state, including our own, um, around fire rescue needs in the state. So there's, um, there's a litany of things there and they, they very much align to the issues that we continually are talking about on city council. So in about two weeks, you'll see, we will pass a final version of that. And then that will guide not only our conversations with the intergovernmental chairs, but also, um, Dana Fenton, our city lobbyist and, and all the people in the government center here 
that work on behalf of us in Raleigh in Washington uh, when we're not able to be there. So um, we covered a lot of ground. We did, and we're like 40 minutes in now, and we've got uh, what I imagine was a 20 or 30-minute interview with Commissioner Long. Well, it's our, it's our 50th. Let's yeah. uh, let's take a second before we close out to reflect on 50 episodes. <laughs> we've killed Brandon Bergen's uh, battery. He's, he's leaving <laughs> us now. Yeah, who's, I think Ray said this is like a virtual town hall. It is sort of. Yeah, y'all. He rhymed that. Um, so no, he's re- just country. Re- reflect on fifty, Larkin. Reflect on fifty episodes. What jumps out at you? What, what what's like one of the more memorable uh, uh, episodes we did in your mind? What's what do you? Did, I mean, when we sat down over a year ago, I got to say we we're sort of gonna do it with the Creative Mornings thing, but. I think my fondest memories are when we do the live audience shows. Me too. Totally. Uh, we need, totally. So I, I got to get back on the, uh, on the horse booking some of those because the ones we've done at Camp North End, at Red Ventures, um, at Packard Place, we had a couple others. Um, oh, at uh, Noda Company Store. Mm, that was those fun. have all been really fun. And uh, we did a, a pseudo, though we didn't use it as a podcast, we, did, we kind of recreated the podcast for um, Visit Charlotte at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So those have been a lot of fun. But, I mean, if if when we started this podcast 50 episodes ago, you had said uh, that in that time we will get a, a shout-out in the Wall Street Journal, we'll get uh, talked about on Twitter by the chair of the FCC, that we have interviewed uh, a member of the United States Senate and two United States Congress people, mayors from Little Rock in Houston. Um, I mean, I would have expected we've interviewed – most of the the top folks here in Charlotte Mecklenburg area, uh, as it relates to local politics and, and civics, that I think would have been expected. But um, you know, we wouldn't. We we I don't know. We'd probably still be doing this even if we only had a couple dozen listeners. But it wouldn't be. As I'll tell fun, you. I'll tell you. And we wouldn't yeah. be able to go to some of these high profile guests and tell them uh, that we have a large listenership and be truthful about it to get them to come on the show. Michael Bloomberg. Yeah. Um. So it's been uh, it's been wild. I'll be interested to see in the next however many months uh, as people start to announce for lieutenant governor, governor, uh, United States Senate, and for president, how how many of those people will be able to rope in. And, I mean, we got I Michael got, Bloomberg yeah. already. Yeah. I, I got to think that in 2019 we ought to be able to get at least two, even if they're not the A-listers, maybe the B-list presidential candidates – we ought to be able to get everybody that's running for statewide office on here. In fact, we should mention Trevor Fuller announced today he is running for United States Senate in 2020 against Tom Tillis, uh, assuming oh, Tom Tillis that. runs for re-election, um, at-large member of the Mecklenburg County Commission for, uh, I believe, on his fourth term now. So we'll have to get up, him up here and talk about that. But uh, the sky's the limit, my friend. You know, I, I, I tell you one thing I wouldn't have expected. I just refreshed it in my dashboard here. I wouldn't, if you had asked me a year ago, I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have thought that we would by episode fifty be tracking at twenty eight thousand nine hundred and ninety eight listeners. That's just that's just I'm insane. not sure those are individual listeners or well, it's, it's 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 definitely a lot of people yes. is the bottom line and that's uh, that's pretty insane. So still holding strong on that five star rating. Five star rating. I turned down the intro music a little bit. I will say uh, someone who I'm not friends with on any social media platform. We'd only met for the first time. Uh, it came up. They, they knew I was on council, but they didn't know about the podcast. They're like, oh, I want to subscribe. This was this weekend. So they hand me their phone when they logged into iTunes. I typed R ampersand 
and it, and we were what popped up. Yeah. So you only have to type in two two characters now. Not a lot of R ampersand no, uh, listed not. Pod, well, uh, shows. Not any as big as R and D in the QC. Well, you know, and the last thing I'll mention here is, did you see my socks tonight? The Greg Phipps socks. I put on these popcorn socks for Greg Phipps. Long-term listeners will know uh, why he's popcorn <laughs> why that, is. that goes back to like episode three Two, or something, yeah. man. So good. Well, listen, I'd like to say it's been a real pleasure being oh, with you here. Kevin, for- Kevin just asked if we have 28,000 listeners per episode. Kevin, we're not quite there yet. It's just about there. <laughs> but we're um, working on it. Well, so. That was um, a total. Yeah. Yeah. So that's downloads. So, um, all right. So, uh, it's been a pleasure to another, to another 50 episodes or so when we're at the hundred mark, neither one of us will be in office. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think we're both getting reelected. Yeah, that's true. Um, but we will have to get reelected to make it to 50. Um, but let's see what the next 25 episodes brings. Campaign season is going to be interesting. It'll be, I think it'll be interesting for us to be at a transition not transition per se, but incorporate in an insider view of a campaign. I mean, a lot of the people that, that listen to us have worked on campaigns. Some of them have run for office before. Some of them inevitably will run for office. Kevin Poirier for school board. Um, but I think that'll be opening another window into uh, into this world for people uh, that some folks might not have seen into. So that, I think that'll be interesting uh, as we – analyze that in the in the summer and the fall so i'll tell you one thing we broke a record on and that's number of comments on this live stream right yeah here. man definitely oh they're saying you've lowered the volume yes i did well we'll see what the uh the audio file sounds like tomorrow it's probably still very loud indeed all right man well so we've got special guest coming up um uh chairman of the mecklenburg county board commissioner of board of commissioners you really struggle with george that dunlap we had a good conversation with him this morning here. Talked about a lot of stuff. We t- uh, specifically um, the uh, the the upcoming tax revaluation and the tax rate that's going to be set. Obviously, on a lot of people's minds, direct impact to affordable housing, uh, and uh, we get to hear his take on some of those things as well. All right, we will throw it to him. But we hope y'all have a great week, uh, and we will be back next week to talk to you about some rezoning. Zoning it is. All right, buddy. 50 episodes. Here's to you. Fake cheers. Cheers. Tink. All right. Welcome back. We are here in the studio early on this Monday morning with our good friend and newly elected chair of the Mecklenburg County Commission. District 3 County Commissioner and Chair George Dunlap. Welcome to the show, sir. Good morning. Thank you for having me. We are glad to have you. For, for our listeners, we've got a bunch of uh, folks who really get into the weeds and really enjoy learning about and, uh, and being involved in city politics. Some of them might not know as much about what the county does or about who you are. Uh, for those that don't follow the county commission as closely as they follow the city council, tell them a little bit about your background, how you got to where you are today, and a little bit about the scope of work of the Mecklenburg County Board of County Commissioners. Well, that's, uh, boy, that's a really in-depth question. Um, you have five I, minutes. <laughs> okay. 30 so seconds. I'm, I'm, I'm a Mecklenburg County native. I was actually born in Pineville. Uh, on Main Street in Pineville. Um, I finished high school at South Mecklenburg, 
from there, I went to the United States Marine Corps. After that, I came back and worked in race relations for a few years. And then I applied and was accepted to the Charlotte Police Academy. I spent 29 years, I mean, 27 years um, at the police academy, and I retired in 2005. Along the way, um, I served on the school board for 13 and a half years, and I am beginning my 11th year as a member of the county commission. So with the quick math, I've only had one cup of coffee this quick, morning. Quick math is he has underwear older than you. Well, but also, does it mean you were serving on the school board while a member of CMPD? I was. Ooh. That's an interesting wow. crossover. In fact, uh, across the state of North Carolina, you'll, you'll probably find that more often in rural counties, uh, not as much in, in urban communities, but um, the rural counties don't necessarily have a, a large number mm-hmm. of leaders in the community, and you'll find people doing both. So maybe f- for another episode, uh, when we've got more time, I'd love to, I'm sure you've got a very informed thought uh, around school safety, given your background, both in the school system and in the police department. So that might Absolutely. be an interesting topic for yeah. another episode. Tell folks, uh, I just mentioned one, the schools, you guys work a lot with the schools. We often uh, refer people to you when they ask us questions about what we're doing about raising teacher pay or anything else related to schools. Uh, and we do have little spaces where we play, one of them being CMPD's involvement with the school system. But besides schools, talk a little bit about the scope of work of Mecklenburg County, what you weigh in on as commissioners. Well, other than schools, we weigh in on a number of things. Uh, We are the funding source for the Mecklenburg County Sheriff's Department. We are the funding source for our library system. Uh, We fund our park and recreation, and we fund all of our uh, human service agencies as DSS, Child Protective Services um, and things along that line. So, what's what's um, if someone were to ask you what 2019 looks like and for the agenda of County Commission, how would you how would you respond to that? Well, I would say that our primary focus is getting revaluation right. Mm. Um, most of us know that the 2011 revaluation caused great concern in our community, um, and it um, was in the news for a long period of time uh, after the revaluation was done, so much so that it's only been a short while since we've been able to resolve all of those issues. However, going into this new year, we have prepared differently. Uh, We have citizens involved on an ongoing basis in uh, some of the policies and procedures that we set around revaluation. We've been out in the community, hundreds of locations, um, hundreds of communities, talking to people in advance, letting them know what to expect, what to anticipate. Um, We've kind of um, communicated and over-communicated about um, what to expect and and how to deal with challenges or um, disagreements with what will will take place. But I think more importantly, once this reval is done, then it is the county commission's responsibility to determine the tax rate Um, because the tax rate will ultimately decide what you pay in taxes for your your home, irrespective of what the new value is. Um, And so that is... um, our responsibility as far as commission. A lot of folks, and, and again, we, we I probably know as much as the, the average person that just reads the articles in the paper about this, but a lot of folks, folks are getting nervous 
about the increase in these valuations. And I think it's been said at median levels, residential owners are going to see somewhere around 30 some percent increase commercial uh, business owners, maybe in the seventies from a percentage perspective. How, how, how do you feel about that? In value, not in, in value, bills. right. In value, yeah. but, but, but which ultimately could impact depending on the budget. So uh, when you, when you talk about the budgetary process that'll be going on, do you, are you, planning on taking like a revenue neutral approach? Like what, what's the thought process for people who see two topics, a county or city budget, and then a revaluation process? And how does that, how does that come into your, your thinking for the year? So first of all, the purpose of revaluation is to uh, allow the county to take advantage of the increased value that the county has. Um, and I think the average citizen would want to know that, um, my $100,000 home doesn't remain $100,000 for 20 years. Uh, today, my $100,000 home is worth $150,000. And so with that increased value, there is, of course, increased tax revenue. One of the things I oftentimes remind people is that your tax value and your market value are two totally separate things. Your tax value might be 150. But on the open market, you may be able to get 225 for your home. Or 75. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. That, that could be the case. So, so tax value and market value are different. And so um, people want to see the value of their property increase. And so as your property increases, then, of course, you pay more taxes on a higher piece of property. Um, now, the county commission sets the tax rate based on what our budgetary concerns are. So we are going to um, have our budget retreat uh, at the end of this month. We're going to assess the county's needs. Once we assess the county's needs, we'll have uh, a cost of those needs. And then when we look at what our increased revenue source is, balance that against what those needs are are the things that we want to fund in our budget then we can set a tax rate that will i hope be lower than the amount of revenue that comes in but it may not necessarily be tax um neutral neutral neutral. so larkin i'm hoping that and we have a, a role to play in this too not quite as large but obviously we we, we fund a chunk of what we do through this very same property tax and so we'll set the same rate and and we will have to we will have to demonstrate what a revenue neutral tax rate would be and then well I think what, what I what I would love us to figure out is to go even a step further right I know there's a lot of unfunded things that we could be doing but but think Targ's, about this Targ's first of think, 75 asks in 2019 but for but a tax think, but th- think about think about all the top look here's just one what did we focus on in 2018 more than almost anything affordable housing right yet this is going to impact the affordability of housing maybe not as much as you know development and gentrification and some things like that but this will make an impact there so if we're serious about it i I think we've got to look long and hard at what it is the city is funding and i'm sure the county is going to be doing the same thing to see you know because these are going to be big jumps well we've also also already kind of accounted for some of those uh, side effects of increasing property values through things like the aging in place program to help offset rising property tax bills for low income seniors. Um, and, the home and we'll extemp- have, a home ex- yes. And the County already has a program. We have now added one to complement 
uh, the program that you have. And mm-hmm. so, um, and, and we'll have plenty of time during our budget season to talk taxes. Um, and, and to back up what you said about making sure you're oversharing this time because uh, there was so much of a bad taste in people's mouths from the last one. Uh, I believe the gentleman's name is it Ken Joyner. Yes. It's the, the head of the assessor's Tax assessor. office. And I, Tark and I both being district reps, uh, as you well know, as a district rep, attend a lot of community meetings. And I have seen uh, Mr. Joyner and people from his office presenting multiple times at meetings that I've been to, uh, giving people a very clear understanding of, of what's going on in this process and what they should expect. Um, do you think that as we go forward and as things, I mean, things can in this community can change in a year's time, much less in eight years time. Do we need to get to where we're doing revaluations every three or four or five years instead of seven or eight years so that those swings aren't so drastic when they happen? I think that would be um, great. Um, I can certainly see the benefit of, of having done that. Um, and and it, it's always you got to get through this one first. Um, now, one of the reasons we didn't do it sooner is because there were a lot of things we needed to put in place after the last revaluations. We found that a lot of properties hadn't been looked at for an extended period of time. And so what happened was that, as as you suggested, um, Larkin, um, people were seeing a 10-year increase in their property value as opposed to a two or a five-year increase. So your property could uh, appreciate 100% in 10 years, not so much in five, not so much in two. And so we're, re- re- we're reevaluating that process to see how frequent we can do it. However, there are state laws as well that determine how often you can do it. Um, and so we have to... Um, follow the state law and I think you have to be within like 90 something percent of the value of the homes in your uh, community before you can do it again and so that plays into it as well. So one thing to shift gears a little bit that has been noteworthy about your becoming chair is that and it's been some time I'd say and you can correct me if you know the exact number I'd say it's probably been five or six years since the older practice of the top vote getter becomes chair almost automatically and the second vote getter becomes vice chair automatically. That has not been adhered to for a couple of terms now. And recently uh, we saw a district rep become vice chair, I believe a year or two ago. This time, at least as long as I've lived in Mecklenburg County, has been the first time that a district rep has been chair of the board. How do you see yourself balancing the responsibilities of representing a geographic district in the county, but also leading the board that governs the entire county? Well, you know, I, I have to remind people that every county commissioner represents every citizen of Mecklenburg County. The difference is that everybody in Mecklenburg County doesn't vote for every county commission. And so one of the questions that was asked of me was, how do you as a district rep represent all of Mecklenburg County? And we've been doing that um, in, in a number of different ways. For example, just when I leave this meeting, uh, I'll be visiting the mayors of Pineville. On um, another day, I'll be meeting the mayors of, of Mint Hill and Matthews. Uh, last week, uh, we visited the mayors of Davidson, Huntersville, uh, and Cornelius. And one of the things that we've done in those meetings is find out what the concerns are 
from them, their town managers and the mayors, because they represent that constituency there. And so we've agreed to meet on an ongoing basis uh, to talk about what those concerns are and how the county can interface with the local towns uh, and townships so that we meet the needs of those citizens that are uh, in the areas outside of the city of Charlotte. Now, there's three district reps sitting right here in this room. And I, I think uh, some folks may not realize that the workload of a district rep is actually, in my opinion, can be um, more challenging than that as somebody at large because a lot of the at large folks aren't fielding the kind of constituent calls and emails and requests that we get that's part of our job right so is that a tough balance i mean i i I can't think like larkin said of another example where a district rep has been chair i mean you do you have a huge workload on your plate now well it's certainly a lot heavier uh, (laughs) than it was because as the chair of the county commission you have a responsibility to respond to the concerns no matter where they come from. So not only am I responding to the concerns of District 3, but I'm responding to the concerns of District 1 through 6. In addition to that, um, as the representative of Mecklenburg County, it is my responsibility to attend certain functions and meetings, uh, to serve on various committees and subcommittees uh, as the Mecklenburg County representative. Um, And so... um, it has been interesting. It's been exciting. Uh, but uh, I look forward to my continuous service uh, doing this. So one last question before we let you go. Uh, as did the city council in 2017, you guys saw a, a shift with a lot of new folks coming on to your body, onto the county commission this year. But unlike the city council, uh, city council's makeup didn't change in terms of uh, political party. We stayed the same uh, proportion, but just some new faces. You saw four new faces on a nine-member board, but you saw three Republicans replaced by Democrats, making the board nine-zero in favor of Democrats. Have you seen a difference in the way that the board has has operated to date with the new faces and the new political makeup? And and how do you think that might impact uh, the results we see from the county commission? Well, I've certainly seen uh, a difference in um, how we operate. Um, I will tell you that um, some of my Republican colleagues never attended or rarely attended our public policy sessions. Um, We laughed about that because uh, the first policy session after uh, we were constituted, uh, there were nine members present and uh, has been nine members at our public policy sessions uh, ever since that time. And the public policy sessions are when we really have an opportunity to delve into or do a deep dive in things that the county commission is considering as opposed to just showing up at our regular meetings and uh, making decisions. In addition to that, I can tell you that uh, the four new people have brought new energy, new ideas. They're more techie like you guys. And so we're doing some things differently. Um, As chair, I have the responsibility of appointing the various subcommittees. Um, And I have met with every commissioner to find out exactly what their concerns are, what their um, their um, 
interests are, and they are being assigned committees based on their interests for the first time as opposed to just arbitrarily assigning people. And the reason I'm doing this is because I think that if people work where their passion is, they'll be more engaged and they'll produce a better product. Uh, I can tell you that these subcommittees are raring to get started. Uh, uh, tomorrow night, we make those appointments official. Um, so we're, we're doing that differently. In addition to that, uh, we're giving um, district people and other uh, commissioners the opportunity to represent the county. We all represent the county when we vote, but as we go throughout the community, um, people will not only just see the chair, but they will see their district representative. They will see other district people in other districts representing Mecklenburg County. So it's, it's sort of a, a shared leadership because we want all of Mecklenburg County to know who the commissioners are. Now, tell me the truth, Mr. Chair. You, you miss the Republicans a little bit. I will not deny that. Uh, you know, when I got on the county commission, people used to ask me, how in the devil do you sit beside Bill James? You know, <laughs> good they, they, they called him all kinds of names. But I can tell you that Bill James um, is really a nice guy. Uh, now, his politics is different. His politics is different. Uh, but when you get an opportunity to talk to people one on one, you get a different perspective about how they are as a commissioner. I, I think Bill James did what a lot of politicians do and they play to their audience and I think a lot of the positions that Bill took publicly was simply to play to his constituency bases but 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 we've we, never seen anything like that on city council <laughs> never never happened but once. but I think the Bill James that you saw publicly is not the Bill James that you know one-on-one now having I that, actually don't know Bill James one-on-one somehow I never met that man I have never really? been in the same room with him unless, except for the times I've been sitting in the audience while y'all had a county commission meeting. I have never met Bill James, and I don't think I will now. Well, I, I don't I, think he's going to be around a whole lot. I will tell you of, this: of hanging though, out at the government center. Um, and 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 while there are no Republicans on our board, I can tell you that our board is today just as diverse as it was when we did have Republicans. We have uh, Democrats with a libertarian bent. We have uh, Democrats who are really conservative, uh, and then we have our liberal. Um, uh, our really liberal uh, Democrats. We have Democrats who have different focuses than those. So I don't think you will. Um, does it scare? Does it red But does it scare? Does it scare you a little bit? I mean, if it was me, I, I, and it was the tables were turned, I'd be a little nerd. One, I, I don't like any kind of lack of even a little bit of balance like that. But two, I'd be concerned that every. I mean, there is. There's no more bipartisan like, okay, it's the county commission. It's going to be if something goes wrong, it's at your doorstep. You know what I mean? It's like, here's what you asked for. And maybe that isn't that big of a deal. Well, the truth of the matter is that's been the case all along. Three Republicans could not overrule six, yeah. even when there were Republicans on on, on the uh, uh, county commission. So the county commission uh, basically have been making those decisions now. What we did have was somebody who could say, have you considered this right. or have you considered right. that? And trust me. That's my role here. We still, have you considered this? We still have Democrats who ask those same questions. Good. It's good. Well, we appreciate you coming on and uh, would love to have you back anytime. Is there anything you want to leave folks with as we close out our uh, half century mark episode 50? 
Well, it's, it, this has really been exciting. I, I appreciate you guys doing this. I appreciate having had the opportunity to be invited uh, to participate, and hopefully we can do this again. You could you could start your own county commission podcast. It'd be like D and D and D and D in the QC. <laughs> no, it'd be in the MC. A lot of Ds. Oh, yeah, in the MC, Ds. D, D to the ninth power in the N- MC. <laughs> well, Mr. Chair, we appreciate having you on. George Dunlap, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for listening. As always, like, share, rate, do any good things you can do to help spread the word about R&D and the QC. This has been Episode 50. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for being here, bud. Who it now?